Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 81. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, time zone troubles, alarming Twitter clients and all is exposed with a Map Bites magic cupboard. But before all that, here with part two of the great Map Bites 7 series of special shows. Two shows in two days. How are you guys coping? Ask again on day seven. First, the MacBytes Magic Cupboard. Yes, for fun. It was a competition we ran during December in the newsletter. And um, it was a picture of said MacBytes Magic Cupboard, uh, replete with quite a collection of discs. And we had lots of you contacting us because the competition was, have a guess how many terabytes of storage we have. And we had a lot of entries. We had Graham, who estimated 43 little low there, Graham. Colin Payne at 68, much warmer. James suggested 55, but he did say oodles of terabytes. Uh, Stuart, 83 and a half. Very precise there. Bruce, more than the state of Texas, which I'm thinking could be about right. Uh, Tim said the Seagate logo scared him, but they don't scare me as much as Lassie Power Supplies and Western Digital. I got two Western Digitals and I was really pleased with them. Uh, one didn't last the guarantee out and uh, I thought, well, I'll take it to pieces and I'll, I'll replace the hard drive. Yeah, easier said than done. It, it just disintegrated as I pulled it apart. So leave Western Digital alone. Uh, Andy said 64. Peter said not enough. Had to agree with that one. Now, the answer. The answer is, after I counted it all, 96. So we're heading towards 100, but 96. So the nearest was Stuart. Congratulations. But I do like oodles and not enough myself. What do you think? How many gigabytes are in an oodle? More than a terabyte. Uh, well, how many terabytes are in an oodle? <laughs> oh, no, don't get complicated. <laughs> oodles are, are just lots of lovely disk space. You can never have enough disk space, I find. I thought about putting it in the cloud, but then I, when I worked out the price, I thought, no, probably not. Is that like an oodle? Yes, it's an oodle. <laughs> One for Jane there. Okay. Anyways, carry on. Continuing with our theme of dead parrots. Um, no, software and other stuff we used to use and what we've replaced it with. Part two. And we start with calendars. Oh, you and your calendars. Now, I have specific requirements. Um, whatever I need to, to use, it needs to sync with my work um, Office 365 calendar. As I said, I'm going to talk about that more in a future episode. But I also need to import um, a particular calendar. Uh, the one I'm thinking of is the Man United Fixtures calendar, <laughs> uh, which I... Just to cheer you up, you mean? Which I have to do every year. You're ignoring year. me now, aren't you? Um, sorry? You're ignoring me now. I was ignoring you, yeah. BusyCal on uh, OS X and Calendar on iOS do this. Fantastical replaced menu calendar clock, which I found was handy just to glance up and see the date and day. But it does actually do more than that, doesn't it? Well, you weren't, you seemingly weren't aware when I mentioned it that it did anything other than that. Well, I have clicked on it and it does show me my appointments, but you know, I just tend to fire up BusyCal. Mm. or look on my ios device i don't think i use fantastical on the desktop as much as some other people do uh, like you i used to use menu calendar clock absolutely adored it didn't really need any other feature of the thing at all other than just that date in the uh, menu bar at the top so i i used it for that now fantastical's got that so 
that was why I replaced it. Menu calendar clock stopped working quite a while back, I think. Uh, started to have problems. It was clashing with a shortcut key for me as well. So prim primarily, yes, I agree with you. Just having that date in the menu bar is critical. But I do actually use it on uh, other machines. So rather than open BusyCal, which I'm still using BusyCal, but if I just want to log into a webinar, it's easier to just go up there because you do have access to all your appointments and all of the metadata about all of your appointments. So if there's a link in there, you can just click it and it will log you into a webinar. So I do use it for that. I've also put a global shortcut key, which I use um, Control, Option, Command and F. F you lost me now. F for fantastical. You lost me at Control, Option, Command. Well, I call it 3 and F. It's the three keys at the bottom. So if ever I make a shortcut key, this global shortcut, I usually want to use all three because, like you're saying, I don't want to have to remember which two of the combination I've used. So I Hey, I've got that as well. Yes, I'll have programmed it for you. I probably yeah, did. The little elves, like the elves in the shoemaker. It happens at <laughs> night, you don't even notice. But yeah, 3 and F, I have that bringing it up. And then I can navigate with the arrow keys. So just going left and right, I can move through the months. So I use it a lot for that. So uh, wouldn't want to be without Fantastical on the desktop, that's for sure. I think for me, as I said, I just you, I get used to using BusyCal. I've said it before and I'll probably say it again in this episode as there's other stuff that we're going to talk about. But it's like muscle memory. It's just what you're used to. You just, like you get in the car and you drive, you just sit at your computer and you just bring up an app and it's what you're used to. I'm worrying about you. So, like, you're used to Fantastical. I'm just used to pressing, you know, command space bar, typing in busy, pressing enter, brings it up. Well, I'm still using BusyCal, but unfortunately, since Mavericks, it's doing its own thing for me. Um, I have been onto them and they're telling me that there isn't a problem. So we nuked everything and took it back to, right, the only thing left to do is to uninstall it. Um, and I didn't go down that route because my machine's not well and I thought I can't face you know, reinstalling it and then making all my calendar groups up again and all of that. I'm going to leave it and I'll, I'll worry about it when I sorted the machine out. What it's doing is, since Mavericks, and I think it's to do with dual displays that I've got, it is refusing to remember that I want the info panel showing. Info panel? Sorry, sorry, info panel. Um, and so I've got it displaying... I've got the mini calendars displaying on the other side, on the left-hand side. And then I close BusyCal down. And up until Mavericks, when I reopened it, it, the interface was exactly as I'd left it. What's happening now is, if I happen to be working on the main screen, which is where I have BusyCal, and BusyCal reopens there, everything's fine. But sometimes I'm on the other screen because that's where I have my mail client. BusyCal does not remember which screen it was open on. Now, a lot of apps do that. Some apps seem to look as if they're going to open on the other screen and then they do flick over to the screen they were last open on but BusyCal doesn't it opens up on what it is obviously seeing as the active screen so that is a problem for me because when it opens on the other screen it seems to lose the fact the info panel's there and it hides the mini calendars again so I spend more of my time moving it to the right screen maximizing it turning the info panel on and then putting the mini calendars back so because of that I'm probably going to be using fantastical even more what i don't use with fantastical and i know some people absolutely love it is the fact that you can add appointments in natural language which i showed you didn't i because you said what's that you thing did. for and it does and it works really nicely but i must admit no i don't use that i'm thinking 
back to when I very first tried it, it was probably because it, I don't think it supported time zones. You could put the time in, but then you'd have to go in and edit the time zone anyway. And most of my appointments are in other time zones, so I don't do it because of that. Um, but this issue with BusyCal has led, led me back to looking at calendar again. Obviously, I came to my senses pretty much as soon as I opened it. But calendar is much improved in Mavericks. Um, the lack of the info panel is still a deal breaker for me. I know you can bring up some sort of an info panel, but it's like a flying window that's never in the same place twice. Uh, they have improved it to the degree that this window will stay open now. So before you had to click and then edit and bring it up and then come out, go into another appointment, click, edit, open it up. That sorted itself out, but it's still not integrated in the interface. And for me, it would be better if it were. But because of these problems, I've actually possibly started to see a benefit of Google Calendar. You know, because I don't have my calendar on Android and it would have nice integration with Gmail. Am I going mad? No, not at all. Oh, it's all right. I get worse after that. Possibly even an Outlook calendar because I am um, probably inadvertently logged in to um, Outlook, which took me to a mail view. So uh, we're talking about office.com. Took me to this mail view. And from there you can get. So it's pretty similar to iCloud, isn't it? The interface you get. Yeah, Drop it's mail in a browser. Yeah, it drops down from the top. And one of the options is your calendar. So I clicked on it and it's got birthdays in there for contacts. That yes, they are people I know, but I have no idea where it's got them from because I've never sent mail via Outlook.com. I don't have my contacts in there. I don't have my calendars in there. And it's picked what I would say is a random collection of people. I thought at first it could be people from Facebook, but no, I, I'm not. I'm definitely not uh, friends with one person on Facebook, so I can't find a commonality, but it has got a couple of birthdays in there and that's it. So I'm sat there looking at the browser, looking at Outlook calendar. And I, I zoomed up and down. So you scroll, well, scrolled on, on the, the mouse. So flick my finger up and down and you should have seen the speed of it. It was blindingly fast. Whereas I found with iCloud, it does this kind of page peel very, very slowly. I showed it to you, didn't I? How fast was that? Very fast. Wow. I don't know how much it would slow down if I had all my appointments in it, but literally with a couple of flicks of the mouse, you could scroll like 18 months and it was instant. It was faster than a desktop app. So I think I'll have a little look at that. I was, I was impressed by that. Little things. I, I think Microsoft have gotten into my head over Christmas. Too much mm, eggnog, maybe. So. What about iOS? I'm not as settled as I am on the desktop. Um, I don't like the built-in calendar. I did use it mm, probably back on the 3G. But since then, no, especially the, it was either the iOS 6 update or the iOS 7, but one of them just didn't like it. I don't like the views. I mean, functionally, it's not too bad, I guess, but I just don't like the views. Which was the missing one? Was it a weekly view? You had to turn it sideways or something. I think it was. We just we covered it a while back. I can't remember. Well, the la the, the, the views I didn't like. I, I just didn't like what was there and what was missing. I can't turn mine sideways, can I? Because it's locked because of my uh, sensitive wrist action. Exactly. So it's broken for you anyway. So the two that I looked at, I, I mean, I looked at half a dozen, I think. One was uh, Helvetica Cal. 
It was very, very plain, very Swiss looking, very red and white. And it was very nice. The views were nice. They, they were very minimal. And if you think back, I was using this on iOS 6. So it was actually ahead of its time. It looked like iOS 7 does now. Um, but I settled on two that I really, really like. I like Pocket Informant, which has a lot more going on than the calendar app from Apple. I mean, it's it's an app. It reminds me of some of the stuff we used to use on the Sony that we had. You know, the little Cly mm, thing. Sony Cly. Um, oh, Agendas Pro, wasn't it, we used on that? That's the one. That Agendas Pro, though, I mean, it did everything, didn't it? It had little graphics, it linked in, it, it synced back to your PC. It, it was very good. Pocket Informant is as good as that. It has its own sync service going on. So if you want to have calendars outside of iCloud, you can. Uh, there's graphics, there's all sorts in it. The, the views are fantastic. Love it. Absolutely love it. There's just one thing that it does that doesn't make sense to me. Um, and that's time zones. Now, Fantastical, which is the other one that I use, that doesn't have as many views as Pocket Informant, but it does handle the time zones better. So the time zones were the killer deal for me. Uh, what Pocket Informant does, it, it's alarming. Uh, you have to put it in twice. So you specify, well, let's, let's take it from the top with what Calendar does. In Calendar, I can't find the option at all. Have you looked? No. I, I just can't find it. It could be there. I might need to turn it on, but I've certainly not found it. And if it's there, it's not easy to find. Pocket Informant schedules back from the UK time. So it sounds silly, but trust me, it's even more stupid than it sounds. Right. I've got an appointment and let's say it is, um, let's say it's not do not copy and paste week, which it is at the moment. Do not copy and paste three weeks. That's when I can't copy and paste if I'm scheduling in a different time zone because the hour offset goes completely wrong. But well, I nearly said that today. Somebody, one of my US colleagues said, um, you guys put your um, you're in daylight savings time now. And I very nearly said to her, no, it's do not copy and paste week. <laughs> it's been there that long now. That's exactly what I referred to it as. It's do not copy and paste week. Don't go there. So um, let's say it's just normal time. Let's say we're all in sync. So I've got an appointment and it is 12 o'clock Eastern. Then that would be 5 p.m. here. So I would want to go in and schedule that. The, the email I'll have about that will say 12 o'clock. So I will want to put 12 o'clock in and then next to it, I get an option to say what time zone. So I would put in Eastern. Theoretically, that's all I need to do. But no, that's not what Pocket Informant does. It does weird things. The first thing it needs to do is I have to give it a finish time and I have to specify the time zone for the finish time. That seems superfluous to me. If I start in one time zone, I'm more than likely going to finish in the same time zone. So I can see the benefit if it's like a flight and you're crossing time zones. But generally speaking, I'd rather specify it just once. But worse than that, I mean, very flexible, but worse than that, when I've put in the start time and the zone and the finish time and the zone, so 12 o'clock to one o'clock Eastern, it immediately schedules it for seven o'clock in the morning. You're wondering mm. why, aren't you? Yeah. Well, it thinks the time I'm entering it in is UK time. And because I've said Eastern, it immediately takes it back five hours. So what it wants me to do is enter it in the UK time. 
But that means I've got to think and I've got to remember if it's doing a copy and paste week. And I don't work like that. I work by putting in precisely what it says in the email. I can be handling up to 30 or 40 of these in a day and I don't want to sit there and have to think, now, hang on, that's that time zone, that's seven hours. It takes seven off the start time. I'm going to make a mistake. I just want to schedule it in the time with the time information I've been given. And no, Pocket Informant doesn't do that. Fantastical does. So that's why I, I veer towards fantastical if I'm putting information in there. There was something else as well. Was it I couldn't edit something? Can't remember. No, I know what it was. It was duplicating. I couldn't find a way to duplicate an appointment. So if I've got a webinar and it's usually like a training session, a one-to-one -one training session, and I want another one, then I'll just duplicate it because all the settings will be the same. And I couldn't find a way to do that in the bit in built one either. So duplicating was a bit of an issue, but Pocket Informant does that. Um, I think Fantastical does that as well. Or was it? No, maybe Fantastical's the only one that does that, which is why I'm using it. So can highly recommend both of those. If you're just viewing your calendar, Pocket Informant's got a lot more extra options. But if you're trying to interact with it, duplicating and putting in appointments, especially in different time zones, then Fantastical is your friend. OK, thank you. So that is calendars. Let's move on to our next topic, which is screen steps versus clarify. I might just sob here. Now, I used screen steps for years. I actually got a 30 day trial, the Windows version, because it is cross platform. Um, I installed it at work um, for creating short tip sheets, as we call them, or quick reference guides. One, one, one to two page quick reference guides on a particular topic. And I was going to suggest that the team used it because what we currently use is, well, what we used to use was front page for creating them as, as HTML files on our website. But then we decided to move to using Word and PDF them and then upload the PDFs to our SharePoint site. Frying but, pan fire. Yes. Mm. It's actually slightly easier now. Front page? Uh, Good grief. No, no, front page is what we used to use. It's slightly easy doing it in Word. Yeah, I'm, I'm still it. conjuring with the idea of writing anything in front page. Carry on. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I left it and the money got spent on Snagit instead. We have a limited budget for tech toys. What? Limited budget for tech toys? Yes, welcome to the corporate world. I won't bother. What about you? Do you use screen steps or clarify? Oh, I used to. Um, it's focused really on, on writing short, very precise tutorials with a short description attached to a screenshot or images. And I found the strongest feature it had was the annotations. It was excellent at what it did. Um, when it was new, I think the fact that you could number elements of the image and then refer to them in the text was probably its killer feature. Yeah, that was good. It was excellent at what it did, despite the fact it never really felt like a true Mac app. I mean, it was meant to do exactly the type of job you mentioned. And um, when it came to the output, um, you could send it to Word, which I'm guessing you did. You could make a PDF and you could also upload the resulting tutorial straight to a WordPress blog. And if you were doing that manually, you'd have to have uploaded the text, you know, logged into to the back end, taken the images, uploaded the images. It would it that was it was long winded. So it aimed to simplify that whole process and it really did. 
I use the Alpha, um, fond memories of the Alpha, very unique interface, very blue, I seem to recall. Um, the version 1 created standalone tutorials. Version 2, I know you like the fact of, that it had a library. The library worked in a similar way to iPhoto. So the only problem with the library was it made it more difficult to share files. But it was much better for managing all your tutorials and pulling them together. I mean, in, in your case, when you're at work and you've got these quick reference guides, you could create a bigger reference guide by just cherry picking a few tutorials and outputting them all together. So that was why the library was a really, really good feature. Yeah, that was a good feature. But I'm glad that we didn't actually go down that route because they've actually changed the licensing model. And I'm also not sure how the library worked across a network. You and I had problems using Dropbox, didn't we, to try and share the library? You could put a library in Dropbox. Um, you couldn't open it on two machines at the same time. But I did have problems with the library. Uh, I can't say that was screen steps, though. It could well have been Dropbox because I've had other issues with Dropbox, too. Um, but when you say you're glad we didn't go down that route, you mean at work, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, at home, I really was heavily invested in it. What they then did, the company was introduced another application called Clarify, which wasn't as powerful. And I remember at the time we looked at each other and we had a look at this app. There were some really nice features that it had that ScreenSteps didn't. And I thought, but ScreenSteps is your primary product. So why has this not got the features that Clarify has? So I looked at it and thinking, strange decision, a lot of overlap. But each of them had advantages and disadvantages and stuff like that. I, I know you did have a look at Clarify and did start using it. Clarify doesn't have as many options. For example, you can't output to a blog or you can't output it to your own word templates either. Well, Clarify version 2 is currently in beta and there is only very rudimentary output to Word and certainly no customization at all. So the stuff that I built in ScreenSteps, I can still use it, um, but I'm concerned with the changes that they've made, which we will talk about, that I'm not going to have access to that on a permanent basis. And I'm prepared to move it all into Clarify. But I've hit a brick wall because I can't get the output from Word. And um, I don't think I've actually uploaded it to... Did I try uploading it to the blog? I think we tried, but... I think I did. And I think the problem I hit with that was that the CSS that ScreenSteps had created, they've now renamed everything. So what's already up there is going to be broken. It isn't going to match unless I rewrite all of the CSS. So that was a problem as, as well. I think I'll wait and I'll see what happens as they build out the beta. It is only a beta and I'm sure they'll build stuff in like that. But I just feel at the moment that there's a gap between the fact that Screen Steps is there, but it is an old version you will have to use and that Clarify isn't quite ready yet. And I'm not impressed by that. I'm impressed by the fact that I think they have left a gap. And for me, that's serious because this is an app that I do use and have recommended to people. And... I would worry about recommending that in the future. Yeah, I must admit, I preferred Screen Steps mainly due to the library because you knew where everything was. It's, it's, it's one library you can go to and see all your, all your tutorials. It's got better options, but I'm not impressed by their new licensing model. Well, what's happened is now they've gone on to version three. 
which I'm on their mailing list and I think I've mentioned this before that I didn't get much in the way of information about it and to be honest I'm not surprised because they've really moved away to the corporate market there's no way that you could look at the pricing model and say that this is intended for definitely not home users and not at the price and I would say even small businesses would struggle with some of these prices. And of course, it's a very poor show for long time users who have used the app since the alpha and have no need for a monthly subscription, which is the licensing model now. And those monthly subscriptions go from $29 right up to $499 a month. Now, that's there because they've, they've really moved to the corporate market. Obviously, at those prices, it's obvious where they've gone. And Given what you can do with it, which is you can have this app and you can output your content. So used heavily in support services for businesses. Um, you can output all of that content up to screen step servers and have access across the corporation with multiple people managing it. And it's fantastic. It's just that to me, that wasn't what the product was originally. And I'd have much preferred it if they would have created like Screen Steps Pro for that market and left Screen Steps there in its current guise. But, you know, ongoing development, just not sending it up to a server, maybe, or, you know, leaving the WordPress function in, leaving the Word function in, but not having that online element to it. And thus there would be no subscription. So you carry on, you pay for your software and you just carry on using it in the way that you've been using it. But obviously that's not the way that they wanted to go that they wanted corporate subscription service, and that's what they've got. Luckily, there are a couple of alternatives, and I must admit, I've been so busy with checking other stuff out that these two are on my must-check-these-urgently list. One is called Steps. Now, that did used to have a different name. Can't for the life of me remember what it was. But um, to look at it, it looks very similar to Screen Steps. And... Um, it has output in similar ways. So uh, put a link into that. That is available via the Mac App Store. And it, I don't think that's too expensive. What's the price of that one? That's steps. I shall click on the link and tell you. Good. The other one is £7.99. Now you see, that's not at all bad, is it? £7.99 you can handle. Um, the other one is called Mac Snapper. That sounds like Web Snapper, doesn't it? Although he's... He's saying, going back, important, it's up to you to find out and test if Steps really fits your needs. You should already own my manuals and purchased after the six of the first 12. I'm happy to provide you with a redeem code for Steps on a first-come, first-served basis since you can import all your existing manuals and templates into Steps. Well, that solves that problem. It was called My Manuals. <laughs> Don't I sound efficient? <laughs> yes, it was called My Manuals. It's all coming back to me now. Yes, um, I did have My Manuals and I don't know why. It was probably on offer, and I thought this looks similar to Screen Steps, and I like to have lots of different apps that, that do have like either an overlap or they do the same job, so I can check one out and think, okay, if the other one breaks, that's the one I would go to. And obviously that's what this show's about, and the, the previous show, that that is what's happened, that as far as I'm concerned, I'm not really prepared. Well, I can't. I cannot rely on, on a piece of software that is now in a, a new version, so version 3, and the old version, it may get updates for a little bit. On the other hand, it might not at all. And at some point, it will stop working. So now's the time that I need to look round. And uh, yes, my manuals became steps. And I did somehow get a copy of that as well. I think it was on offer right at the beginning. 
I'd have to check App Shopper, but I think it was on offer and I decided to, to go for it and test it out. None of these things are perfect. None of them were what I would build if I had the time and the skill set and the will. No, anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting off point. So um, that was one, Steps, and the other was Mac Snapper. Both of those do look more Mac related than Screen Steps ever did. But the problem with them is, you know, because of that, they're not cross-platform, so that wouldn't have done you any good, would no. it? No. Although why you can't take screen st- uh, screenshots in Windows and then write them up on a Mac, there's a use case for needing mm, a Mac. Definitely. At work. Yes. So um, the two alternatives for that are Steps and Mac Snapper. But we will keep you updated because I'm I'm still, I'm testing the beta of Clarify. And uh, when it comes out, let's see if it does meet all the needs. I'd still be concerned, though. I feel left high and dry with that, must admit. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, yes, another one bites the dust. You know what's coming, uh, don't you? Was that for, was that for Screen no, Steps or the next one? the next one. Let's talk about Bento. Oh, the sad demise of Bento. I rationalised it at the time, do you remember? Yeah. I rationalised that Bento was going away because I was still starry-eyed about the new iWork. And with Apple owning FileMaker, who owned Bento, this gets very complicated, doesn't it? It's like these these divorces you get where you've got 15 in-laws. Right, no. I, I thought they'll bring out a new fantastic database in iWork. <laughs> How wrong was I? But on the upside, it did mean that I made rash promises to Minster and here I am delivering on my rash promises. Yeah, I have many, many years experience with databases building corporate... Hang on, hang on. Let, let me get the Hovis music out. Right, where you go. I have many, many years experience with database um, building corporate level solutions using Access and SQL Server. But for myself, I actually currently don't need the power of a database. I, as I say, I build stuff for other people, but for myself, I don't need it. In the past, I did create access databases for things like you know, contacts, but now all that's stored in the cloud and accessed via dedicated apps. I've got one requirement that comes to mind, which is a list of tutorials I have on the Excel trainer and a list of videos that I have on YouTube. And sometimes I have more than one video per tutorial. So the one-to-many relationship means you know, um, there's more than one video URL in a cell. So that is the only um, example, if you like, that, that comes to mind where for the stuff I do, I, I would actually need a database. But I don't think Bento was relational, was it? Uh, from memory, no. I, I certainly didn't use it in that way, but I did have a very specific need for a database and it worked brilliantly. Uh, but no, I don't think Bento was relational in that way. It wasn't that powerful. It was actually like a front end to data just stored in a table, so like a spreadsheet. Uh, my need for it was I have um, a filing cabinet, physical filing cabinet, and I'd built an index for the filing cabinet. What I don't want to do with my filing cabinet, with all the paperwork that's in it, um, it's stuff that I can't scan. So some of it, if it can be scanned, it's scanned and it's got rid of. But if it can't be, you know, legal contracts and stuff, then I tend to put it in this filing cabinet. And I didn't want to be constantly in there making labels for it. You know, the labels fall off and stuff like that. So I created this system where there are folders in the filing cabinet drawers and they are just sequentially numbered with some kind of code at the beginning. And the system only works if you have an index for it. 
If you lose that index, then you haven't got a clue what is anywhere. And I had that for, for quite a few years in a spreadsheet because it was simple in terms of it wasn't it didn't need a relational database. It was very simple. Um, what then went wrong with it was I thought mm, it's checking through it you you were looking you couldn't you, you couldn't really focus on a single line you know your eyes were drawn to three lines down oh dear i need to do something with that so i put it in bento and i used the forms feature to focus on one individual file at a time and it it worked brilliantly it was fantastic and um, that was my main use of bento since the day version 1 was released but looking back, you know, I remember when version two came out and there was no upgrade price and it was the full price. Remember that? That kicked, I it, off. That kicked me off. Then I think they did that with version three. And I'm not sure if they didn't do something just as bad with version four. But I did upgrade it because, of course, then there was an iPad version. I could take my data with me. And again, that was really useful. So although it wasn't relational, I think for most people it was probably just the right level if you have data to store. So I'm thinking things like um, club databases, you know, Mac user groups, stuff like that. Yeah, but like I said um, t to you the other day when we were discussing this, um, you, you, if you've got a knitting club or a, a Mac club, um, you could take the um, the membership list with you on an iPad and use numbers. Well, yes, you could now, but you see, you, you don't have, when you're back on the Mac, you don't have that forms element in numbers. So again, that just made it more mm -hmm. ridiculous that they've brought out this new, in inverted commas, version of iWork, and it's still not feature parity with the iPad version. And the iPad version has had that feature since day one. So they've had four years to add that back. And if they had, it would have mitigated the pain of, of the loss of Bento. But until that form element is there, no, it, it, it isn't the same. You just have to put it, like you're saying, on an iPad and leave it there. Yeah, have it synchronising with iCloud. Anyway, uh, yeah, alternatives are a bit thin on the ground as well, aren't they? Access isn't available for the Mac, and we will be talking about accesses in an upcoming show as well. I wondered if Microsoft would ever make access for the Mac. I don't think so. Well, would you have thought they'd have done OneNote? No, but the way Access is going, it's just becoming a front end for um, SharePoint and SQL. I don't know. I think if it is more of a front end for some back end services, I think that might possibly point to the fact that they could do something for the Mac because they wouldn't have to build in as much technical the, the technical side of it, they could build it in as a front-end development environment for data stored on a server. Mm. So possibly they, they might, if they come to their senses and realise that whoever makes the hardware, it doesn't matter, even if it's Apple, then maybe they might. Another one, of course, is FileMaker, which I have looked at several times, and I just keep coming up with the answer that, one, it's ludicrously expensive, and two, the licensing is ridiculous. It's uh, activated, so I think it's... I was concerned I'd make a database and then end up with it on one machine and wouldn't be able to access it and all of those concerns. Just just not as easy as Bento was or as Access is. So have you ever used FileMaker? I've not. I've got a trial, but I've not installed it yet. Well, it's cross-platform as well, so FileMaker should, should be a nice solution, but the price of it, I think they've priced themselves out of the Bento market, that's for sure. But there is a base in LibreOffice, which I must admit I looked at once and thought, no, I don't need this right this second. I'd have thought you'd have had a look at that. I've looked at it once only because a couple of people have asked me about it, but I've not done anything serious with it. Yeah, we've had more inquiries from people who are moving to a Mac and do have data in access. And it's 
is there a version, you know, is there anything that I can do? Is a database important for home users? I uh, say not. I don't think so. I mean, I used the example of the knitting club before because you mentioned it the other day. I think you must have been having a non- I did a, not mention did. the knitting I club, did ha- I? You were having a non-tech moment. Was I? Yes. Unusual. <laughs> but no, I think there are other apps that now that you can use to keep your knitting club and your Mac club members and your recipes in. I think most people would turn to Evernote and put it in there because it's easy. So if you put, uh, not particularly contact details, you probably have those in your contact app. But, you know, if there's other information in there, I think most people think, uh, you know, Evernote, it's there all the time. I don't have to worry about it. I'll just put the stuff in there. Evernote doesn't do it for me in, in that kind of way. I could build this thing in Evernote. I absolutely could. It would give me the benefit that I could, uh, rather than a spreadsheet where it would just be metadata, I could actually put files in the Evernote note. So it would become like a virtual filing cabinet. But I must admit, I have not gone that way because I'm, I'm not 100% sold on Evernote. still feels to me like one almighty bucket that I might lose something in. So... I, I, I've thought about it, but I've not actually done anything about it. To me, Evernote's just more of a notebook. I can I can see where you're coming from, but to me, it's it's like an unstructured thing. Oh, I agree with you. It's just that Evernote has that ecosystem where people have built things on top of it, and you know some of those things are are database type related things. Yeah. So people are using it that way. It it doesn't ring my bell in that way. Obviously, it doesn't ring yours, but. It's a solution that people already have and they're already familiar with it. And you could make it work if you needed to. So, yeah, I've heard of people doing that, but no, I, and I haven't succumbed to it myself. No, yet. well, let's, let's move on. The next one is Courier, which is an app you introduced me to. C- can we have the dead music? Dun, 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 dun. Thank you. Yes, it was an app from Real Mac Software. Have a love-hate relationship with them um, because they kill software that I like. It was a file. Yes, it was a file transfer app, but it was much more visual than FTP. So the metaphor they were using was envelopes, and it was beautiful interface, gorgeous. You created an envelope and you stuck a stamp on the front. I know this is sounding quaint, but you did. You you stuck a stamp on the front and you could flip that stamp round and put in your username, your password, where it was going to, all all of that. So all of the connection information went in the back of the stamp. And then the envelope flicked round and you dragged and dropped a file to the envelope and then you clicked upload and you send it and the envelope actually physically closed and off it went you could see it flying from where you were so there's actually a map and a little man stood there and you saw the file go from the northwest of the uk over to the states so i could actually see where the file was going and I used it for YouTube, but you could also use it for a range of services and it was extensible as well. So if app developers wanted to build in support for their app, they could do. But for me, I used it for YouTube and TwitPic. So those two in particular, but mainly YouTube, because to me, it had huge benefits when I used it with YouTube. For me, I only used it for YouTube and and now I just open up the YouTube browser uh, or the YouTube uh, website in a browser and just drag and drop my file up there. It works for me. So I don't particularly miss Courier. Well, the one feature that it had, which I don't think you do get in the back end of YouTube in a browser, is that it did batch uploads. So on occasions, I'm uploading sort of sections or, or groups of tutorials and I could just drag and drop the lot into the envelope and it would upload it. 
um, and it also set the properties on each video and there is nothing equivalent to that. So if I'm uploading four videos, I'll put the titles in correctly and I'll have it set that they're all educational and, um, you know, set the date to this, make them public or make them private, publish them on such a date. I could do all of that without actually going to YouTube because I must admit, I've got a bit better with it now, but when I was using Courier, when I first started using Courier, I didn't find the YouTube interface intuitive at all. I was clicking all over the place to try and get to, you know, to the right place to put that information in. And it seemed to me typical Google app where, you know, it works after a fashion, but the interface was very looked like it had been made by a developer. So I did like the fact that I could batch upload it and, and there is nothing equivalent to that. So now I have had to lay that one to rest. Obviously it's still working. It's one of these apps, it's still working, but at some point it's going to stop working and they are no longer supporting it, which I find very sad. Although it did go free in the end, I remember paying for that and I did get some use out of it, but again, it becomes part of my workflow and then I miss it when it's gone. So I'll bet we're probably the only two that ever use the thing and that's why that they've binned it. <laughs> mm. But yes, I did I did like it and now I have to I'm re I have to resort to using YouTube in a browser. Luckily it has got better so I can now drag and drop. Um, and then then it's a race against time to, to fill in the metadata because you can see the the video uploading, can't you? Yeah. And if it gets uploaded before you finish putting the metadata in, you then got to go and edit it and then YouTube gets upset. So um that's what I'm doing with it, which is what you were doing with it all along, weren't you? It is, yeah. Now mm. that was um, that's uploading to YouTube, but there's also downloading from YouTube, and we used an app called VideoBox. Yes, downloading YouTube videos for offline viewing. Not sure about the legality of that one, are you? Well, we'll still talk about it. It <laughs> it actually broke with Mavericks, but then they updated it and it started working. So I installed the trial. Um, you wouldn't give me the serial number. What? I don't recall being asked. And so I uninstalled it when the trial ran out. Yes, yes. But in the meanwhile, uh, while Videobox was broken, um, Videobox is from Tasty Apps, which are uh, the same people who make uh, WebSnapper. And uh, they do make some nice integrated software integrated with Safari. But, you know, when there's an update from Apple, nine times out of ten, it breaks with unceremoniously breaks. So um, in between this time when it was broken, Downey arrived and Downey's awesome. I thought, well, I'll give it a try because video box is broken. But Downey is amazing. It seems to be updated every two to three days. Um, it's got much more support for different sites. So it's not just YouTube. You can download from Vimeo. And I think there's up to about 80 other sites. There's very few sites that have video on that this thing can't scrape the video from. Uh, it's much more configurable too. I found with Videobox that when I uh, you open Videobox and you drag and drop the URL, so you've got your browser open, you drag and drop the URL into Videobox. And I found it opened up its own little Videobox browser. Did you find that? Because sometimes it did it in the background and you could hear the video playing twice and then you had to open the browser. You had to know it was there. Yeah, that's that's coming back to me now, that problem. Well, the reason it did that was that you could then choose the quality through this browser interface. So the browser was looking at YouTube and you would use the YouTube standard interface to pick the quality and then it, and a download link to that quality was added to the video box download list. And you could then choose which quality you wanted to download. But most of the time, I'm going to want the best quality that's there. And there was no way to tell video box to do that. So I had to do it every time with each different video. 
Downy doesn't do that. It's got these configurations that stick. So you go into the preferences and you just tell it to download the highest quality video that's available and it remembers that. Now, Videobox did um, have this integrated browser, whereas Downy doesn't. You just drag and drop the URL onto the Downy interface and then click what looks like a play button and it starts to download it. But it is awesomely quick. It can take just sort of 30 seconds to a minute to download a video and uh, the quality is fantastic. Now, I did get a serial number for this. Really? Yes. That was kind of me. It was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, good news is I love it. Oh, good. I'm impressed. Hmm. So video box RIP still working, still working. And if you if you prefer that one, because that did integrate with Safari, there was a button in Safari. But um, I use Google Chrome, so I was quite happy dragging and dropping. And I think Downey Downey wins that one. Hands down. Ho, ha, <laughs> See what ha. I did there? Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, it's I'm, too many Mac bytes. This is what's doing to me. I'm not going to play the. Uh, no, don't game. carry on. No, because that's uh, just become what do they call it gratuitous a boring gag but we have another hmm? get on with it we have another dead one don't we um, another dead app so. and one that i don't use there's a common thread here with you not using stuff yes it was another one of those there's no replacement for it apps that's sadly pining for the fjords i loved it it's called alarms I thought it was useful. It had a unique interface which was killed by Mavericks, unceremoniously just completely annihilated. The interface was a scrolling timeline and it was great for creating quick reminders. It's not something that I use, as I said. I saw you using it, but the the interface annoyed me. It's stuff just dropped down from the menu bar. The interface is similar to Unclutter and it, that can be annoying. Um, I didn't find this one as annoying because it unclutter has a habit of appearing when I don't want it to. But alarms didn't. You actually had to use a shortcut key or click an icon for it to drop down. And then what it did was it moved your entire desktop down and it displayed this uh, timeline at the top of your monitor. There is nothing similar because what I used it for was... Uh, say I'm working on something and I think I've got to turn that off in 10 minutes. Then I could just click the alarms button, click on the timeline for 10 minutes, type something if I wanted, and that was it. The alarm was set and it would then ring at 10, 10 minute mark. And I could add as many as, the, uh, as many as I wanted. So I wasn't limited to just the one. And I haven't found anything similar. I was using Timer Utility Pro before alarms. And um, that, again, just kind of withered away. No more updates. Uh, I think Lion saw that one off. The interface started jumping around as you were clicking it. And I haven't found anything to replace that either. I preferred alarms over Timer Utility Pro just for those quick reminders of things in 30 minutes, 90 minutes. Um, Timer Utility Pro was much better. It would uh, create projects that you could uh, allocate time things to, so time tracking. But it also did um, countdown timers and um, stopwatch timers. There was all sorts that it did. And I haven't found a good replacement for that. The best one that I found, but it's quite limited by comparison, is called uh, Alanov Timer or Alanov Timer Pro. And they only do countdowns. Uh, so there's no not um, to set the time alarm system. So it's not the same as alarms, but it's not bad. Alanoff timer is free and you can set one timer. 
But it does have benefits that it can go full screen. So if you've got a Mac at the end of the room and you're using it as a countdown or at the back of a room for a, for a presentation, then it's great for that. And the Pro version allows you to have up to 10 alarms, but it's still it's still not the same. So so nothing nothing to handle alarms at the moment. Excuse me, but you do know I do reminders and alarms, don't you? Oh, yes, you do, don't you? Muppets. I can't get the staff. And so we come to the final um, dead parrot. <laughs> Demise. Demise, yes, that's better. Uh, Osphora versus Tweetbot. Um, a change of Twitter client. Always potentially traumatic. I actually only ever change when it breaks. Usually, Why doesn't that surprise me? Well, you know, better the devil you know and all that. Mm. Usually when pictures stop uploading, that's that's when it tends to break for me. Ecophon started that that problem, um, so I moved to Osphora. Then that broke, so I stopped using that. Um, but I think the thing with me, I, I said it earlier in the show, I get used to running a particular app. What you know, I think what they call muscle memory. So I'll press command and space, um, and then for, for uh, Alfred or launch bar or whatever it is I'm using, and then I'll type OS for Osphora, press enter. So now it's command and space, type TW for, for Tweetbot, press enter. And, um, it means I don't have to think when I'm launching an app. Well, you can always do that with Alfred. Um, if you add your Twitter client. So even if it was Osphora, let's say you decide to go back to Osphora and you're now in the mindset of typing TW and it's offering you Tweetbot straight away and you actually want to use Osphora. Rather than reprogram yourself, if you go into the spotlight comments of any Twitter client um, and you add the keyword that you want, so in this case it would be Tweet or Twitter, um, and you use that with your launcher, well, Alfred works this way. I'm not sure. You might have to do something different to get LaunchBar to do it, but Alfred certainly works this way. Whatever you put in that uh, spotlight comment, it will use that as the keyword. So you could have Asphora running when you type tweet just by putting it in the spotlight comment. Hmm. Okay. Could we extend this to Windows? Because I'm forever trying to press, well, it's not command, this is on Windows, but control spacebar. Is that no. muscle memory again? No, no. You're, you're just disadvantaged in your Windows world. Mm. Is it easier if you use the same Twitter client on multiple platforms? I don't know. Do you? Do I? Um, I think I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, I use Tweetbot now on the on the, um, the iOS. Yes, do you remember when we were pricing everything in Tweetbots? Oh yes, Tweetbots. Yes, because it, it came out for Mac and it was, oh, wait for it, £13. I mean, that, that, that's open 24-7 for me. It's like groats. Is it great? <laughs> yes, I'm afraid so. Uh, yeah. And then I think the iOS version came out and you oh, had to pay again. Mm. So, yes, everything being priced in Tweetbots. I must admit, I did leave it to uh, sync via iCloud. <laughs> How crazy was I? Sync iCloud? Mm. Actually, it doesn't do too bad. I couldn't remember when, when I set it up on a device whether I was using Tweetmarker or uh, iCloud. So I left it to iCloud, and, and when it actually did sync, apart from being rather amazed, I thought, I'll just leave it alone. You know, it's not broken now, so I'll just leave mm. it. Uh, so I did. But no, I, I moved to Tweetbot, I think, as soon as it came out. I didn't take to Tweetbot as quickly on iOS. I didn't like it at first. I was on Ecophon and I stayed on Ecophon until that broke for some reason. Oh, and doing then a I, me. Yes. And then I, I tried Tweetbot again and thought, why didn't I like this? It's awesome. 
It's, it's like you say, it's just in your mind, isn't it? How you do the certain things that you do, how you get to your DMs and how you get to your lists. And if it's not instant, you think, nope, don't like it, can't, can't be using it. And then when it broke and I had to look at it seriously to make a decision on which one I was going to, I thought, this is fantastic. Yeah. So I, I, I stuck with TweetBot. If they brought out another version and wanted paying again, I'd probably pay. But don't tell them that. Yeah, I, I still have to ask you how you send DMs in TweetBot on the Mac. Yeah, that's it's a, it's a bit quirky, that, yeah. isn't it? I'd completely forgotten until I got a DM the other day about putting D at the beginning. I forgot about that as well. Yeah, I mean, years ago you did actually mm. used to put a D. Now I'm I'm always very careful like you because I'm thinking, I want to send this as a DM. No, no, where do I do it? I, <laughs> I would not risk just putting D at the beginning and expecting it to work. Because no. you know what Twitter are like. They change yes. it every two minutes. DM and it probably end up, yes, it would be horrific. Mm. Yes. So um, us four are sadly no longer we're not using it are we no no nor are we using twinkle remember that one i love twinkle <laughs> really? that was my very first twitter client on any platform twinkle i think it's still going isn't it but it's morphed into something else i have no idea because what i didn't realize was that twinkle had its own network thing going on as well so there were some people on there that I, I was like not following per se but that i used to see in the timeline and it turns out i wasn't following them it was like the twinkle network I remember dri- you driving and you went over a bump in the road and I inadvertently followed somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, those were the days, wasn't That's it? That's like inadvertently pressing like in Facebook because the page is still loading. Never done that. Oh, I've done that a few times. Then you, then you tap on like. Do you? Well, yeah. How mean. Can you imagine somebody getting excited? They got a like for something and then you <laughs> unlike it. Yeah, but it was an accident. It's like favouriting tweets when you didn't mean to. Anyway, anyway, anyway. That's it for this episode of MacBytes, second part of our special uh, MacBytes 7 series, 7 MacBytes in 7 Days. As always, we'd love to hear from you, so send your questions, comments, queries by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com. Use the contact form on the website or send us an audio file. Leave us a comment on the show notes at macbytes.co.uk. And don't forget to send your... The teeth. The teeth. I'm going to start that again. Take it again. Don't forget to keep sending your Mac love bites in. Leave a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and don't unlike us, and circle us on Google+. And don't uncircle us either. Um, sign up for the newsletter at macbytes.co.uk. See us on Twitter at macbytes. Twi- ah! <laughs> I'm going too fast. Twitter, twitter.com slash macbytes. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash thomasmike. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesSeries. So until the next time, this has been Mag and Elaine bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Do you think they'll make day three? I see no signs of any serious saddle sores yet. Too much information.